0: Hi, I'm Jerry House. You know, I've known these shady ladies for a very long time, and I love to hear their stories, but you have to take them with a grain of salt. Now, these tales and opinions are not for the faint of heart, and this podcast is not suitable for children, but then neither's the music business. So light one up and lighten up, because you're listening to the Shady Ladies of Music City. Is this on? Are we doing it now? What are we saying again? I'm Evelyn. And I'm Susan. Some people refer to us as... The Shady Ladies of Music City. When I first got to Nashville, the women were not well known at all. and. The ones that were well-known were the older ones, like Tammy and Loretta and Dottie West. The young ones, I wasn't even sure who they were. But uh, I knew who Tammy was. My, growing up in Pittsburgh, my mother knew the Mandrell sisters because they had the TV show. And so they were pretty well-known in mid-America. But there were not that many famous young women and so that's why when I first got into the PR business, I wanted to work with Tammy Wynette. Tammy's voice was really unique because she had a catch in her voice. And, you know, it was, nobody else had it. And it made everything sound so emotional. And, you know, to hear Tammy sing live was unbelievable.
1: Well, it used to be funny. We would go over to Tammy's house. And, you know, she was a real Southern girl. And, uh, you know, she would cook food. And her husband, George Ritchie, was a great keyboard player. And he would play the piano and she would sing. And Susan would sidle up to the piano next to Tammy and start singing away. And then Tammy would forget the words. And Susan would just (laughs) knock her away. I remember the word. I'd
0: say Tammy was probably the most special of all the female artists that I knew really kind, really nice to everybody. It didn't matter who they were. And you know, a lot of artists, when they're coming off their bus and the fans are grabbing them, they don't want to talk to anybody. Tammy would talk to any everybody. Oh, hi, hun. Yes, of course I'll sign that. And everyone else would have their pictures passed onto the bus and they'd have a relative in there that was fake signing everything.
1: And that's the truth about a lot of people and Tammy, you know, she was a huge fan of country music. I mean, even though she had, you know, sung it her entire life and done nothing but endless shows, she just truly always remained a big fan. And uh, she would watch all the, you know, CMT and TNN and all the video shows and, you know, knew about all of the new young female singers and who she thought was special. And she really paid attention and she'd send them little notes.
0: Well, you know, <coughs> most of the artists didn't smoke pot. And the girls never hardly even talked
1: about it. Well, Tammy would smoke, but it wasn't her drug of preference. You know, with me and Susan, she'd she might take some hits, us. you know, just to get us laughing. Because, you know, being with Tammy, it was like, um, you know, just a girl's night out. And you could, you know, and she'd she tell us. She was
0: really funny.
1: And she could tell us the history of the music, so... And, you know, when I had first moved down here, I was moving from Boston. I didn't have this huge background in country music. You know, I knew, like, the big superstars, who they were. But, you know, maybe one song from each of them. I knew Tammy because of Stand By Your Man or Hank Williams because of, you know, your cheating heart. But on that particular bus trip up to Washington, where she just did, like, a master class in country music for us. George, principally. Yeah, and... During that particular period, George and Tammy hadn't spoken for about 10 years and there was a lot of animosity and bad feelings on both sides. But she wanted to kind of turn us on to things and she played us all, you know, a lot of his records. And she was saying, now listen, listen to what he's going to do here Listen to his voice. And she, you know, knew every nuance of it. You know, she was just a fan of anybody that did good music. I mean, whether you were successful or not, it didn't really matter. You know, and in those days, particularly in the earlier days of uh, videos and stuff, uh, a lot more got on the air than probably does now. And um, you know, Tammy would watch it for hours all night and have all these opinions each day about who was new and how that song was and if it's if it would you know make it. But on the Honky Tonk Angels project, we did a video, and uh, it was really fun, because Loretta is really funny, and I mean, she's so country, and so, um, you know, just kind of like honest and plain and funny and, and caring, and... Uh, we had this crazy video thing and uh, we had different friends, you know, they would answer the door in this video and then there would be somebody there that they knew and everybody would, you know, be laughing over it. And we had them perform on the CMA show and uh, they all wore white, you know,
0: gowns, Gowns,
1: you know, with lots of... Dolly uh, might have
0: worn a pantsuit. Tammy might have worn... Tammy wore a pantsuit, I
1: think. And uh, the rest of them were in these big ball gowns. No,
0: Loretta always wears, like, a prom dress. That's her look, and she's sticking with it. And uh, Dolly probably wore something really, you know, gorgeous, like a top and a, you know, and a long skirt or something. Tammy wore the pantsuit.
1: But they looked great. And it was such a, a big occasion on the CMA show to have the three of them there.
0: Tammy did a video with Burt Reynolds, and they did it down in his place in Florida. And what was the highlight of the video? The highlight of the video was? I'm trying to think of what the video was called. I can't think of the name of the video.
1: Well, I thought she was going to talk about the fact that she got uh, bitten by a spider on the ass and had to I go did. to an emergency room I got bitten during bitten by, this
0: video. <laughs> I got bitten by a spider. <laughs> I think it was a black... No, it was a brown Brown recluse (laughs) on the bus. And the spider bit me about four or five times. And I kept showing it to George Ritchie because I didn't know what it was. And uh, the doctors had never seen anything like it either. Tammy knew, though, because Tammy knew everything medically that you've ever heard of in your life.
1: She did. We went. We took the bus with her up to Washington, D.C. once to do a uh, welcome back to the troops kind of...
0: Which all... Everybody in the country music did Welcome Back to the Troops. They don't do it anymore.
1: Well, no. It was a particular end of the war or something. And uh, they were doing uh, taping a big TV special up there with all kinds of people from different kinds of music. And Tammy was performing, and we all went up on the bus with her, and Randy Travis was performing. So there were a lot of different country people there. Susan, somehow or another, on the bus, she didn't get bit by a spider on the ass, but instead, she got something weird in her eye.
0: And I, my eye was starting to swell up, and I didn't know what the hell was going on. And Tammy said, oh, don't worry, hon, it's a chelazium. Well, I had never heard of a <laughs> chelazium, have you? No, and nobody had. And we got to the hotel, and the hotel said, we're going to send you to our doctor, he had no idea what it was. He had a book that he tried to look it up in, and the only thing he came out with was a chalaisium and Tammy was right was well, chalaisium is like uh, a sty, but bigger and scarier looking
1: and everybody in Washington knew she had this. <laughs> Our friend Michael Campbell goes walking through the hotel lobby, and the guys the uh uh concierge says. Oh, your friend with the Shalazian (laughs) just went out. (laughs) And the
0: doctor was such a nitwit. He had to look it up in a book. Not that he was a nitwit because, you know, he just didn't know. It was not a thrilling event. But Tammy knew right away. She knew everything because all these, you know, Tammy and Loretta and all of them, if they would get sick and they were on the road, they never had anybody to treat them.
1: Uh when so we hard. were doing it in the Honky Tonk Angels project they had you know like a crafts table set up outside of the studio and you know they'd been working all day and I think it was might have just been Tammy and Loretta there that day and um
0: oh Dolly came yeah Justin, Dolly came and you know, looking gorgeous yeah
1: that's right she looked gorgeous and then uh Loretta said oh I have a headache and you know she wanted to take an aspirin or some kind of pill and Tammy looked at her and, and said, you can't take that, you know, without food. And so she picked up this little square of, you know, cheddar cheese and shoved the pill in the middle of it and said, now you can take that. And how is that? And these two women knew more about pills than, you know, we could ever begin to well, think Well, Tammy <laughs> in her
0: bedroom, in her dressing room, had a bowl, you know, those big glass bowls filled with pills, all kind pills, all kinds of pills. I don't know. I couldn't identify them now. I probably knew more of them back then.
1: Well, I think they also knew, like, you know, kind of, you know, country folklore cures for things. There's no f-
0: country folklore for shalazium. Well, would I would be. Telling... You could
1: have put, a, like, a drained bag on your eye like you do for a stye, and it would have helped.
0: Well, no one suggested it. <laughs> but I had to wear a patch over my eye. That was a look. And that was a great look <laughs> while everyone was, you know, meeting the troops and... Lori was there. I wasn't with her, though. I think Evelyn was with her. And she was smoking and going outside. Oh, that's a different
1: visit. The trip that you're talking about was a different trip for another show to Washington. And um, Lori, we were in one of the big uh, reception rooms. and Lori spots this tiny little ashtray the size of a quarter. And immediately lights up and pressures me to join her so she won't be the only person. I mean, I would never think of, you know, lighting up a cigarette in the White House in the reception area. Mm. But I did because I didn't want to put, you know, make Lori look bad, which she always (laughs) did. And she,
0: you know, she didn't mean to. But, you know, nobody had told her that you can't smoke in there.
1: Well, it wasn't that long ago. Smoking was frowned upon pretty much everywhere. I'd say that it
0: was in the early 90s that we were up there, and it wasn't that bigger deal then.
1: I don't know. Why don't you talk about when you and Laurie went to the White House to see uh, Bill Clinton?
0: Oh, well, Laurie went up to the White House because they asked her to come up to sing for the Christmas pageant. So we we went up on the—we flew up, finally got dressed. She looked unbelievably gorgeous. There were lots of radio guys that had little shrines to Laurie back then. Uh, And she had on like a red dress with a white fur collar and a white fur hat. Very holiday-like. And we, she sang. And, you know, then when you're done, you go into this huge room to eat. And there's a huge table, huge table. And Clinton saw Laurie. (laughs) And I tell you, he almost (laughs) fell over (laughs) in her little velvet dress. And she was just breathtakingly beautiful. So anyhow, Laurie was there and we saw Clinton and, you know, we left. And she was going out with my friend Fred Thompson, who was the senator from Tennessee. And he was a wonderful guy, just fantastic. But meanwhile, the Star Magazine published an article saying that Laurie and Bill Clinton were in the back of a limo together. Now, I know that was impossible because I was with her every minute, and it never happened. You know, Bill Clinton was never in the in the limo with us. And so it was a huge story, and I think Fred was not thrilled with it. And uh, we tried to get an attorney, but he talked us out of suing them because when you sue a big company like As We Now See, you know, if you sue them, they can go back and get records of every call you've made, every person that you've seen, everything you've done for like the last five years. And if you don't want your whole personal life exposed, you don't sue them. And that's why hardly anybody ever sued them. Lori was the beauty of the music business and she had been married several times. Her first husband was a backup singer for George. Then she was married to Keith Whitley. And that was a huge thing. Then she was married to Clint Black's bus driver. Then I I don't remember. She's been married a few other times, but she's very happy with her husband, Randy, and they're building a hot chicken restaurant in Florida. And she grew up, her father played at the Opry all the time. So on the way home from the Opry, her father would always smell this unbelievable smell, and he finally tracked it down, and it was Prince's hot chicken. He walked home from the Opry. I
1: mean, how did he smell it?
0: I don't know, but he did. (laughs) Laurie said he did, and he knew what was going
1: on. (laughs) Well, Amy Lou was, you know, a, a, a client, and she used to come to the office with her dog named Bonaparte, and it was a big black standard poodle. And he wasn't
0: a standard poodle. What was he? I don't know, but a big dog, <laughs> but a not a standard but poodle. But he looked like a poodle. He was
1: like a water dog. <laughs> well, that could be. I mean, he, he was, was like Obama's dog. He was some kind of big black curly dog. <laughs> <Rescue>. <laughs> named Bonaparte. <laughs> And she loved that dog so much and took him everywhere. And when he passed, she started Bonaparte's retreat as a rescue place that, you know, it flourishes to this day. She's a big dog lover. She's and one per- of her daughters interned at Asylum us. Yeah, I can't remember which one. Can you? No, but <laughs> <laughs> why do you ask these questions? Well, when you we mentioned her daughter, in? and now we can't well, think of have the name. Well, just passed as her daughter. Well, you know, nobody I can't knew. think of the daughter's <laughs> name. Wait, I can see her. I can see her, too, but I can't think of the name. <laughs> Doing press for her was just a dream because, you know, every, like, cool outlet, magazine, whatever, if they were going to do their token one one story every two or three years, you know, Emmy would be the female choice, just like Casey is the female choice today because they're sophisticated and they're cool and they're hip and... You know, it's not too country, it's just, you know, but they can get away with saying they used a country person, and Emmy was always that person. And I remember one of my favorite bands in life was a band called The Band, and um, my favorite person in that band was a guy named Robbie Robertson, who I just thought was the, the handsomest, you know, coolest guy. But when I came up listening to that kind of music, you know, you didn't know everything about everybody. I just loved their albums, and he was going to—he do, was doing a, a, a talk show series, and wanted to interview Emmy. And I was so excited, and I called her. And I said, "You know, you're not going to believe it, but Robbie Robertson wants to interview you." She was as, as excited as I was, and you know, ended up doing quite a few different things with him. But you know, Emmy just brought out all the cool people.
0: We had a lot of fun working on the Trio Two record because. Uh... The artists were so spectacular, and we really, Evelyn and I, respected them all so much individually, and then together they were pretty monumental. Well, I'll tell you this, Linda Ronstadt was one of the coolest women I ever met, and she and I got along really well, and she liked me because I had been in prison, and I think her, her uncle or something was the sheriff, like in Tucson or someplace where she lived. And uh, I'd never met her before, and we went up and did everything with her, and I went shopping with her to uh, Bergdorf's. And uh, I know it was an odd pairing up there. I was a little nervous, but nonetheless, she was fantastic, and she's very down-to-earth, but she could talk, and she was fantastic. She knew so much about music. She and Emmy... Picked almost all the songs for the album. And they also did another album called... uh, Western Wall. Western Wall, and they picked all the songs. And they really, Linda really knows music. And we had all of our meals with her and her manager and Emmy. And Dolly, Dolly doesn't eat with people, though. She likes to eat privately. And they were so different on the road, because Dolly came down every morning and looked perfect like a little movie star, a little Vegas movie star, every morning. You know,
1: like at 6 o'clock in the morning when you're going to the Today Show or Good Morning America or something, and she just... But it was so special to watch them sing, and we shot a video um, on one Heart of the songs. Of gold. Heart Yeah, and just to spend the day watching them work out things, and uh, it was it was sort of an incredible uh, situation. It was an incredible we thing. We had a really good time, you know... Doing, um, promoting that album and releasing it.
0: Well, you know, you, I looked up to all of them. And, you know, Emmy would come down in the morning. <clears throat> she had her, her uh, historic uh, hair and makeup person with a raquet, But Linda had no hair and makeup. And she didn't really care that much. And she would use raquet when she got to the uh, studios. When the three of them opened their mouths to sing, you could see, like, the technical people and the camera people were, like, in shock because they sounded so perfect. Perfect. Dolly was always perfect. Emmy was always perfect. And Linda, you know...
1: She was perfect. Yeah, yeah,
0: she was perfect. It was unbelievable to hear them all singing. And they were so nice. We had a lot of fun with them.
1: Shelby Lynn was one of the the best... Girl singers, you know, that ever came into country music. The first time I saw her, we were out at Nashville now, and I was out there with Randy, and uh, she was, I think, about 18 years old, and she was getting her first performance spot on on the Ralph Emery show, and she was just unbelievable. She was so good, and you know, I immediately got her, uh, you know, talked to the guy that was with her, her manager. And that, you know, I wanted to work with her that bad. And what, you know, they wanted was for her to get to open shows for Randy Travis. So, you know, I sort of made that happen. And um, Shelby was just extraordinary, you know. She
0: still is. She's unbelievable. She's an unbelievable writer, singer. She can sing anything.
1: But, you know, her attitude kind of always, uh, you know, made things blow up. One time she was opening... For um, and she really had, you know, Alabama. never had any hits. But she was opening for Alabama, and they didn't have her name on the arena sign when she pulled up. It was just Alabama, so she was pissed off, and she went out to the, you know, to the crowd and basically sang a half a song and, you know, um, mooned the, moon the audience <laughs> and left the stage. And she would always come into my office on Mondays. And um, tell me how the weekend went and told me, you know, how she had, you know, mooned the audience. I said, why would you do that? And she said, well, hell, they weren't there to see me. My name wasn't on anything. It wasn't on the tickets. It wasn't on the sign. And, you know, so they, you know, they're not there to see me. And I said, did you think about the fact that maybe you could have won some of them over? They would have thought, oh, my God, who is this girl? Like, let me find out. I said, instead, you just, you know, blew off, you know, 10,000 people. Uh, she didn't care. She didn't care.
0: <laughs> and, you know, she still has, she won that Grammy for Best Fe- New Artist when she did that I Am Shelby Lynn album. And she's just extraordinary. And, you know, people talk about her in whispers, Shelby Lynn, Shelby Lynn, <laughs> because, uh, you know, she's, <clears throat> she's hard to predict how she'll act. So that's the nicest but way all, I can all put it. But all the good
1: artists have always just loved her. I mean, Tammy, Tammy loved her. Willie really loved her. She ended up doing a lot of stuff uh, for Willie over the years, you know, and with Willie. And- Willie
0: knows how to pick out those female artists, and also his manager does, because he's done a lot of stuff with Casey. He did a lot of stuff with Nora Jones. He did a lot of stuff with that girl, uh, oh, I can't think of her name, Susan Tedeschi. He did stuff with, uh, you know, random but really
1: unbelievably talented girls. And Willie always had them out on the road first. She was the worst nightmare of everybody at the record label. I mean, it was just one thing after another. But, you know, the thing is that I think, you know, that was 20 or 30 years ago. She's always been able to make a living in music. She's always been acclaimed. She always, you know, people know that she's special. And so, you know, she carved out a certain kind of life for herself. You know, you kind of hope and wish that, you know, she was a superstar, but maybe not, you know. She's still getting to do exactly what she wants to do, and she's never compromised. No, she has. And sometimes she'll make some of the strange-ass albums that, you know, where there's so much effect and produce, you know, production that you forget about, you know, who's singing it. And in fact, there was one project that she had done like that, and I didn't think it was very good. But you know, that was just my opinion. But she did something for us. I can't remember what it was, where she sang as opposed to you know just did lots Do you of. You mean attitude. the Tammy Wynette
0: remembered? Album? No, no, no,
1: it wasn't that. It was something after that. George? But, no, but whatever it was, the label person was in town and saw her sing and was so blown away because they didn't know that part of her as a singer. They just knew the the part that was all production and attitude as opposed to the fact that the chick could sing the paint off the walls. And when she lets loose and really shows that, uh, it's just an extraordinary thing to see.
0: It's almost as if she's afraid to let people know how good she is, how great she is. I worked out to every album of Shelby's. I used to play it, work out, play it, and listen to it in the car. It's when I finally figured out how to get a CD to play in the car. <laughs> it was a short space, though, because they stopped putting CD players in the car. But I still have mine. <laughs> Other females that were really interesting. Carleen Carter was very interesting. She is uh, Johnny Cash's stepdaughter, and June Cash's... Daughter. June Carter... Cash' daughter with uh, Carl Smith, Smith, who was a
1: big country star too,
0: and she can really sing, but in a whole different way. Her grandmother was Mabel Carter, Mabel Carter, and uh, Mother Car- Mabel. Carl. Carlene is, you know, pretty irreverent and uh, will say anything she wants, and is famous for some of her lines. But she's another really interesting one that never really got a huge break. Because she was never on the radio. Trisha Yearwood, Patty Loveless, Mary Chapin Carpenter, Susie Boggus, Reba McIntyre, Kathy Matea. Uh Bonnie Martina Fryer. McBride. What? Joy White. Joy Lynn White. But Martina's Martina was a huge artist for a long time. Female vocalist of the year for years and had, you know, has an extraordinary voice.
1: And Martina kind of you know had a like a special launch in country music because she was on that female tour. What was it called?
0: It was the uh what the hell was that thing called? It was with uh,
1: From Canada. Uh Lilith Fair. The Lilith Fair. The first one, you know, which was a very hip, cool thing. And it was Sarah McLachlan and, and Martina was on that tour. And that was so unusual for something in country because, again, going, you know, the bastard stepchild mentality of the country music business To actually be on sort of like a rock and roll tour of some sort was so unusual. But I think
0: Martina could have gone either way. She could have gone pop, and she ended up going country. Because she had one of the strongest voices. And those songs she sang, uh, you know... um, Independence Day. Independence Day. Broken Wing. Broken Wing. They were songs that could have been pop songs, too. But she really still has a very strong voice. There's hardly anybody that has ever come out that can sing as strong as Martina. You know who we forgot to talk about? KT, because KT Oslin was big then. Oh, yeah. And she was the oldest artist to ever make it in country music, the oldest female, and she wrote all of her songs.
1: She was like 48 years old when her when her first song came out and hit, which was 80s Ladies," And it was so different, and she had been... You know, she lived in New York and she was doing Broadway stuff and she came with this album that was so extraordinary and it was such a great story. I mean, you know, it was unheard of for anybody 48 years old to release a single and to have a hit like that. And
0: she wrote like 35 songs and she recorded them all. And then she stopped. You know, she won a bunch of Grammys and she was the only female artist to win song of the year. Uh in country music, and uh, she went to the Grammy. She had never obviously been there before. She was with a date, and uh, they had, uh, you know, back then is when they started giving out the huge gift bags. And, you know, she wasn't prepared for this because she had no money, and she did commercials, but, you know, she wore all vintage clothes and, you know, lived a very pecunious but funny life, So when she won Song of the Year, she won two Grammys that night for Song of the Year and Female Country Artist. And they called her backstage to give her her basket. And she was really excited. You know, she thought she was going to get, you know, clothes or a watch or a radio or something. And they gave her a basket of batteries. (laughs) That was the whole thing. All different sizes of batteries. Now, why they would give the female artist of the year batteries is beyond me. But she kept that basket for years and those batteries because it was so, she said she was so shocked when she opened the basket and there were all these batteries. She kept looking to see if, you know, maybe there was a Rolex underneath the batteries, but there wasn't.
1: Now to address all the music city myths and legends that surround country music. One of our listeners has submitted: was Tammy Wynette really kidnapped? Well, she certainly always said she was. She told me she was. Rumor has it that her husband, uh, George Ritchie, sort of beat her up. And, you know, she just attributed her... uh, Uh, bruised face to the fact that um, she was kidnapped. I'll tell you she went to her grave uh, saying that that was the case but I'm not absolutely sure because I wasn't there.
0: Thanks for listening. You be sure to subscribe and we'll be sure to catch you off guard. So light
1: one up and lighten up. Tune in next week for our episode Scammers We Have Known and Loved where we talk about all of the shysters that have been a part of our lives and how they ultimately ended up in jail. We want to hear from you. Music City is an absolute rumor mill. There are so many tall tales Nashville is built on. Some are true, some are false, but we sure get a laugh out of all of them. If you've heard a rumor about a country music icon, Nashville or the music industry... Submit it on our website at www.shadyladiesofmusiccity.com for the chance to have it addressed on our Music City Miss segment in our next episode.
0: So share and tell your friends, then rate, review, and subscribe. Don't be quiet about this. We need you to tell everyone because why is someone going to listen to this? No one has any idea who that we are, so it's up to you to get us known. It has to be a viral thing. It has to be a, uh, you know,
1: word-of-mouth thing because we're putting our faith in your hands. We are. For more information on the podcast, please visit www.shadyladiesofmusiccity.com.
0: Shady Ladies of Music City is recorded and produced in Nashville, Tennessee, and is presented by Monument Records.
1: Executive producers are Jason Owen, Shane McAnally, and Katie McCartney. Our producer is Sarah Tahili.
0: Our theme song is written and performed by Robert Shavers. He is also our engineer and editor.